congregation standing, which has the orange circle. You want to sing all three verses or just five twenty? I know that I cannot pray just like old
It's good to see each of you this morning. So good to have Brother Chase here with us. Just be, please be in prayer for this good brother as he stands before us today that the Lord will grant him those things that he stands in need of. I had some thoughts on my mind uh, last night. I was trying to just give a few thoughts about trying to get in a, a spiritual frame of mind, really. I've been, spend, uh, I've been on holiday for so long, it feels like I... <clears throat> You know, you feel like you get out in the world and you can't come out of it. Sometimes it just feels that way. But I was beginning to think about what I really stood in need of, and, and I I stand in need of, of hearing about Jesus this morning. Um, I just wanted to read a few passages just quickly. I don't want to take much of Brother Chase's time, um, but I just wanted to read a few passages this morning about what the Scripture says about the Word. Of course, in John's Gospel, uh, he begins that gospel by saying, in the beginning uh, was the Word, and the, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, that Word that he's talking about there is not, it's not my words. It's not, it's not even the words that Brother Chase is going to be using, but he's going to preach about that Word, I hope. I hope today he's going to preach about that Word. Um, in the Hebrew letter, the author there writes, in the, the fourth chapter there, how we should labor to enter into that rest. And a lot of times we wonder about, I mean, that's kind of confusing a little bit, at least to me it is, the idea of working to rest. Mm -hmm. Working to rest. Well, what, what are we working towards? Well, we're working towards leaving this old self behind and putting our faith and our trust in that living word. And he talks about that a little bit in the fourth chapter in the 12th verse. I'll start at the 11th verse. He says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And that example he was talking about was the children of Israel as they uh, uh, made their journey from uh, captivity into the promised land. They demonstrated their unbelief several times over and over. Uh, and they did not get to rest. <laughs> uh, but what we, we strive for today is to enter into that rest, that rest that the Lord has for us where we can... Uh, fall into his arms and cry out of father. He says, uh, for the word of God is quick. Now, a lot of times you hear uh, people speak about that word and they, they want you to, they want, they want you to think that this is the word. Uh, so many preachers today I've, that I'm familiar with, I've, I've heard many of them uh, believe that their word is quick and sharp and powerful. But now it's the word they preach. He says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner. Now this book's not a discerner, but God, Jesus Christ, the word, the living word, is a discerner. He says it's a discerner. He is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest. And I'll go ahead and use that pronoun again. He is sight. He is uh, this book is not a he, it's just an inanimate object, but it has words in it about that word, that word. There is neither any creature that is not manifest or, or that's not visible to him, but all things are naked and open under, under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's, that's the one that we need to answer to. That's the one we need to look to. That's the one we need to put our faith and our trust in. Amen. Verse 14, seeing then that we have such a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, and he is seated there right now 
uh, seated at the right hand of God. He is seated, ruling, and reigning. Jesus reigns today. No matter what the devil may throw at us, no matter what the world may cast our way, Jesus still reigns. There's not a thing that the devil or the world can do to hinder us from ultimately being at home with him in heaven one day forever. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more of the world to have to deal with. No more of this old man to have to deal with. Mm -hmm. We can fall into the arms of Jesus and love him forever as we ought to. Amen. You know, that day, that day we'll see him like, like the prophet did, like the prophet when he was there. In the, in the, the year King Uzziah died, he, he finally saw it. He said, this is not a tragedy. It may be kind of tragic in the world, but my Lord, he reigns. I hope the Lord will be with you this morning, Brother Chase, and he'll grant you those things that you stand in need of. Would you bow with me as we try to pray? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for this day, Lord, that you've given us that we might come together, that we might sing praises to your holy name, Lord, that we might look into your word and draw comfort from the scriptures there. Lord, we know that whatsoever things were written for time were written for our learning, that through patience and the comfort of the scripture we might have hope for and therein is where we want to place our hope. Not in the things of this world, not in the not in men, Lord, but in you. Father, just help us. Grant us those things we need today. Be with these that we've mentioned, Lord. We know you're the great physician. You can grant healing to all those that need it. Lord, for this uh, virus that seems to plague us today, Lord, we, we ask that you would just cure that and send it away, Lord. For all the other ministers that stand to, to proclaim your word today, Lord, we pray for them. Especially today, Lord, we ask that you be with Brother Chase, Lord. That you'd lift this dear elder up above the cares of this world, Lord, that you'd grant the ability to stand, to stand on that rock, Lord, and preach Jesus. Lord, please forgive us when we failed you. For it's in Christ Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank Good to see each and every one of you this morning and very thankful to be able to be back here with you. It seems like it's been so long since I've been blessed to be able to visit with you, blessed to be able to be back at this church, which we we have a whole dear in our hearts. And uh, my brother and I enjoyed uh, dinner or college experience here at Martin. Uh, you all were very, uh, this church has always been very hospitable and loving to us and received us as their own and as family. And we just really love and appreciate you for that. Uh, even though we've been out of college a long time seems like um, but I don't get to come back and visit as much as I'd like to but it's a great blessing uh, to be here with you this morning and to be able to number one be able to worship together isn't that a great blessing just in and of itself to be able to it's one thing to worship God one-on-one -on -one, and that's a great time uh, but to be able to gather together those of like precious faith brothers and sisters in Christ and be able to in one accord worship God that's a great blessing and I'm thankful that we share that this morning, but also the fellowship, the love and the fellowship we have for one another. Um, I really love and appreciate. Um, I've always felt the, not only the Spirit of God here, but a great sense of love and family here in this church, and I'm thankful for that also. So it's great to be with you, and I uh, hope that the Lord would continue to bless our efforts this morning. I felt His presence in the song service and the spirit of the singing, and I pray that spirit, same Spirit would continue with us as we try to stand before you and uh, beg an interest of... Uh, strong interest in your prayers this morning as I have 
uh, several subjects have been bouncing around in my mind this morning. And I pray that the one that I finally have settled on is of the Lord and it's of His will and keeping with His and be pleasing and honoring and glorifying to Him and what He would have me to say and not what something that I would choose out. But um, I've come to find out that even when I mess up, even when I make a mistake, uh, the Lord is able to overrule my, my folly and bless anyway. So that's my prayer this morning. And if I have chosen the wrong subject, so to speak, the Lord is able to bless in any case. <clears throat> we pray God's blessings to continue with us. And uh, please pray for me as I try to stand before you and bring these things to you from God's Word. Now, if you have your Bibles and like to turn with me, I'd like to begin in the book of Romans, chapter 16. The Apostle Paul says some interesting, very weighty and interesting things to close out the Roman letter. Um, a lot of times, just to be quite honest about our natural mind and about our natural flesh, sometimes we focus more on the the meteor parts of the book, and we tend to think, well, the end of these letters that Paul wrote, most of these letters to the churches that Paul wrote, they tend to end with salutes and salutations and goodbyes and things like that. We tend to kind of read over those things and uh, kind of, well, this is not as weighty as some of the other more doctrinal material. And sometimes we tend to glance over, we, we, we focus more on Romans 8, 9, and 10, right? And, and uh, not as much Romans 16, but the Apostle Paul, when he closes out this letter, he says some very deep and just, I think, weighty things. And I'd like to focus on two words this morning. The Lord being our helper for a little while. I'd like to focus on, uh, once again, two words. But one word has become, used to be my, I don't know how to describe it, my most, one of my most intimidating words. And I'll explain that a little bit more in a minute. But it used to be one of the most intimidating words to me in the Bible. And now it's my favorite word. It's my favorite subject in the Bible. And that's the word revelation. <laughs> and so since we have a book in the Bible named Revelation, upon which in, the, in all the various spectrum of Christianity, you can understand why there's a lot of confusion on the term revelation. is because the book of Revelation at the end of this Bible uh, has so many different views, so many different ideas, so many things we read in the book of Revelation have been misconstrued out in the world to strike fear in the hearts of God's people. Right. You know, what's the, right. what's the, what's the ten-headed beast? What's the mark of the beast? What's 666 mean? And we look at all the, the evil in the book and the enemies of God in the book, and we don't focus upon the main message of the book, which is what? How do, what's the first four or five words of the book of Revelation? How does it start out? The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the whole book is about. The book's not about 666. It has that detail in it, but it's not about that. The main theme of the book is it is, it is a revealing or a revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you, don't, if you take that first four or five words with you of Revelation 1, chapter 1, verse 1, if you take that with you through the whole rest of the book, you won't have any problems with the quote-unquote scary stuff in the book because, you know, my Savior reigns. Jesus reigns. This is a book about Jesus and my victorious Savior, not a book about all the evils of the world. Right. Those evils are mentioned there, but only as a backdrop to the glory of Jesus Christ and how He has triumphed over it. And so, as you can see, my transition through my life and trying to study the Word of God from my youth up um, and being raised in it by my uh, good and godly parents uh, taking me to church and raising me and teaching me in those things, and I'm thankful to God for that, uh, putting, me, putting me on that right path early, on the old path of righteousness early so that I could grow up and be nurtured in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Um, 
It used to be long ago when I would think about the book of Revelation, I sort of was intimidated by the book. Number one, because it is difficult. I'm not going to admit to anybody or, or try to stand up here and profess. I know everything about the book of Revelation. In fact, I would tell you quite the opposite. Any preacher, whether printer Baptist or otherwise, that stands up and tells you, I know everything about the book of Revelation, and, and here's what I know, <laughs> that you can put a flag, red flag on that individual. But the book of Revelation is like the Bible itself. It is so deep that no one man can ever figure it all out. <clears throat> and so the book of Revelation is difficult. It is deep. But at the same time, as uh, Elder Sonny Piles is famous for saying, he says God's word is simply profound and profoundly simple. <clears throat> the book of Revelation is like a microcosm of what the whole Bible is um, in that sense. On one hand, it's the simplest book in the Bible. It can be summed up. The book of Revelation can be summed up in two words. And Elder Ed Long is famous for saying this everywhere he goes. Um, and I remember him saying it since he's been my pastor, right before I was even preaching. Elder Ed Long would say it. Brother Fuller would say it. All my fathers in the ministry would say it. The book of Revelation can be summed up in two words. Jesus wins. And in that sense, you think, well, that's, that's not hard to understand, is it? No matter what I read about in Revelation, I know Jesus has won. Jesus is victorious over it. So on one hand, it's the simplest book in the Bible, Jesus Wins. But on the other hand, there is so much detail and depth in it that vague prophecies, hard to understand prophecies in it, and visions in it that it uh, can never fully be figured out. So on one hand, it's so profound, man will never fully figure it out. But on the other hand, the main message of it, the theme of it, is that Jesus Wins. <clears throat> Simply profound and profoundly simple. <laughs> Uh, that's the book of Revelation. That's really the entire Bible. <clears throat> so I'll set all that to say this. i just give you a, a quick backdrop on myself of how I have thought about the word or the term Revelation over the years. I used to be afraid of it. I used to be intimidated by it because I thought just my own personal way of thinking back then was, well, before I can even begin to read the book of Revelation and begin to understand anything in it, I probably need to understand more about the rest of the Bible first before I could unlock the truth and the meaning of Revelation. I sort of felt like that Revelation is a locked book that must have a key, the, the other scriptures, the other parts of the Bible, to unlock the truths of it. Well, that kind of goes against the definition of the word itself, right? What's the word revelation mean? What's the base word of revelation? Reveal, right? <clears throat> it means to reveal. Revelation, don't be, a, 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 don't be intimidated like I was by the longer form of that word. I would hear revelation. Ooh, that sounds like a big word. I'm afraid of it. I'm kind of intimidated by it. And therefore, I would not go, I would purposely not go into Revelation because oh, I'm not going to understand it anyway. I need to understand Ezekiel and uh, 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 Zechariah and some of those other uh, uh, visionary prophets before I can even begin Isaiah, uh, begin to understand the depth of Revelation. And to some degree, that's true because Revelation makes references to almost everywhere in the Bible. There are references to Genesis, references to all the minor, uh, major prophets, minor prophets. It's a, an amazing summary book of the Word of God, the book of Revelation is. But we need to remember the base word of Revelation. Revelation is, was never written or designed to hide anything from us. That is designed to lock it away from us, and we've got to unlock it. That's how I used to think of it. I used to think of it like a lock and key book. It's locked. The meaning of it, the truth of it is hidden, and it's mysterious, and it's locked away. And you've got to understand the whole rest of the Bible before you can unlock Revelation. 
Now I would sort of tend the other, the opposite. I go to the opposite extreme now. I would challenge God's people to read Revelation first before they read anything else because I like knowing that my Savior reigns, my Savior is victorious, my Savior wins over everything. It doesn't matter how great the enemy seems to be. Amen. Jesus wins. Amen. And Revelation is simply the revealing of that truth. <clears throat> Revelation. Reveal. <clears throat> so now... I understand the book of Revelation, not only the book of Revelation, but the word itself to be God is revealing something that he wants us to know. Some part of his eternal power and Godhead, some part of his eternal being, his eternal character, he wants us to know about anything in God's book, anything that he has uh, inspired and preserved for us in this word. Is it not a revealing? God is communicating with us and trying to reveal something to us about him and about what he's done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so there's a little bit about the term revelation, but I want us to focus on another word. <clears throat> another word. We're going to look at two words today, and we're going to go to several passages. And I want you to, the reason I like going to these several passages, all three of these passages that we're going to go, go to say the exact same thing. They're going to say the exact same thing in a little bit different wording. But the principle, the concept is exactly the same. The first place we're going to look at is Romans 16, where we're at. And if you want to go ahead and be turning and be getting the places so we can uh, save some time turning there, it's uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 1. We're eventually going to get to those two places. But in Romans 16, and as we go through these three places, I want you to know that I think the reason somebody might say, well, Brother Chase, isn't, if it's going to say the same thing, it is a little bit laborsome to go through all three places. One reason I like doing this in front of God's people and as a lesson to God's people, so to speak, is to show the remarkable consistency of the Word of God. One thing that I never cease to be amazed about, the more I study the Word of God in my young ministry so far, the more amazed I am at how consistent it is throughout the whole system of the book. Throughout the whole system of theology, God is remarkably consistent in what He says and what He does and how He, how he forms uh, the doctrine here. And when Paul taught the Roman church, he didn't say something different to the Philippian church Amen. or to the Ephesian church or right. to the church at Colossae. <clears throat> he teaches them the exact same truth in all of these places, and the truth is very powerful to me. So I hope, if nothing else this morning, one thing that I hope to accomplish by this, by this message and by this sermon that I believe the Lord has not only revealed it, the Lord revealed these, this personally to me first. And I think Brother David can attest I hope, I hope we can relate to this in his ministry because I think all ministers experience this to some degree. Before we can ever preach a sermon, God has to reveal something to us first. Amen. And a lot of times that comes in a very personal way. God turns on a light bulb in our head that we see something in Scripture we've never seen before, and then it fires us up. We get enthusiastic. We get excited about it. That Oh, my goodness, God, I've, I've been reading this my whole life, and I've never seen it, and God has, all, and has now shown the light on it, and I just love, love it, and I just... Energetic about it, enthusiastic about it, charismatic about it. And I want to share it with other people. I would say 80 to 90% of my sermons that I try to preach come in that fashion. I'm just studying and reading one night. God shows me something new, and over time it develops into a sermon because I want to share it. I want to share what God has shown me, what God has blessed me to see, new in the Scriptures that I want to share with God's people. That's what this message is. I can't tell you how many times I've read these passages that, we've gonna, that we're going to go through and just waxed over the terms, just read over the terms and didn't pay them much attention. The term revelation, and now I'll give you the second term, the second word we're going to focus on, the term mystery. And those two terms go hand in hand because something is only mysterious to us until what? 
until it becomes revealed how it works. You know, for, for centuries, uh, humanity or scientists didn't understand what electricity was. The power has been there the whole time. The, the force of nature that is electricity has been there since the creation, but we didn't know how to go about it. It was a mystery how electricity worked. And until we learned how to conduct it and how to control it to some degree and, and how to harness the power of it so that we can have lights and power and things like that in our culture and society, until we learned how to do those things, but that was a revealing, wasn't it? Right. Electricity didn't just pop up one day 6,000 years after creation. It's been there the whole time. But it wasn't revealed to man. We didn't understand it until it was revealed. It became discovered and revealed in an in a understandable sense. That's how the truths of God's Word are. The truths of, this, of God's Word, the truths of the Bible, God's spiritual wisdom, God's spiritual truth, which are absolute, by the way. Uh, I don't want to get off too far on that, but that's something that's being attacked in our culture right now is, is the fact that there are no absolute truths. Truth to you could be one thing, and truth to me is something else. Something known as moral relativism versus moral absolutism. I believe strongly, since God is there, is the creator, and being the creator, he has also the power to be the lawgiver. And when he gives the law, that has established the absolute truth or the absolute foundation for what is good and evil, what is right and wrong, what is moral. <clears throat> and so morals are absolute. The world will tell you right opposite that today. <clears throat> the world wants you to believe that truth to me is different than truth to you. And that's how you hear people justifying some of the great evils that are going on in this country. Well, well, you might think it's wrong, but it's, it's a good thing to me. God's word is the standard. <clears throat> God's word is the truth, and we should stand on his moral absolute foundation that he's given us. However, all those God's moral absolutism, God's spiritual truth, spiritual wisdom, everything that is God has established, all those things are a mystery to the world and not just to the world, but to us also. Because if you think about it, before we're born again of the Holy Spirit, before we're, God opens our eyes to the truth, we're just like, uh, how does he say it over there in Ephesians 2? He says, we... We are the children of wrath, even as others. <clears throat> um, we're just like, we're totally depraved as any, any other uh, uh, descendant of Adam. We're just as sinful, just as wicked by nature. And so we're not any better than the world. We are part of the world when we're born into it. <clears throat> All the things of God's word are a mystery to us <clears throat> until what happens? Until the light of God's spirit comes and gives us revelation. And then the thing that was so mysterious to us, then is not so mysterious, but it becomes what? It becomes clear and illuminated truth. <clears throat> and it's understood in our minds, just like the doctrine of the doctrines of grace, the doctrines of salvation that we so know and love and understand and take comfort in. At one time in our lives in the past, those things were mystery to us. We didn't understand them, we didn't seek them. They were a mystery hid. And that's where we're going to begin here. Again, focus on those two words. Mystery and revelation. That's going to be a consistent theme in this sermon. I begin reading in Romans 16, verse 25. Last three verses of the Roman letter. This is how Paul closes out the Roman letter. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, 
Now, how does he say he's going to establish you in the gospel and preach Jesus Christ to you, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to you? If any preaching happens, a mystery has to be revealed. It comes through the revelation of the mystery. <clears throat> because Jesus Christ in itself, uh, didn't, didn't Paul say to Timothy, I believe it's in, is it 1st or 2nd Timothy, three, six, I think it's three, It's one of the 316s, uh, one of my favorite 316s. It says, great is the mystery of godliness that God is manifest in the flesh. I mean, that's, that's one, of the, one of the core, foundational, essential truths of Christian doctrine, isn't it? Yep. That we have to believe that Jesus Christ not only is the Son of God, but He's all God, He's all deity, and He's all man. And if you believe anything less than that, you have watered down the truth of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And there are some that believe a partial view of that, right? We know there are some denominations out there that believe, well, he was part God, part man, or he was uh, just man with a blessing of God upon him. Um, <clears throat> but God's Word teaches that Jesus, and it's a great mystery, great is the mystery of godliness. How can Jesus be 100% man and 100% God at the same time? And I say natural from a natural perspective, I don't know. But by faith, we understand it and we believe it and we say, yay and amen. Because we know that our eternal salvation rests on the fact that Jesus was who is uh, who is said he was and he is what he said he is. <clears throat> if Jesus is anything less than 100% God and 100% man, we have no, we don't have a powerful Savior to save sinners from their sins. <clears throat> That's why it's his essential doctrinal truth. <clears throat> but even that core principle is a mystery to us. Go out and try to tell it. Just go out and try it. Take a social experiment. Go out and try to tell somebody who doesn't go to church, who's not Christian. Tell them that Jesus is the Son of God and He's all God and all man and see what their response is. They will look at you like you're crazy. They will look at you like, like you have told them a great mystery. You know why? Because you have. You told them something that, that is a mystery to them but has been revealed to you <clears throat> by God's grace. And the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. Now here's where it gets, here's where it gets, starts to get interesting. This is right backwards, right opposite from the way the world, the, the mainstream Christian world teaches it. Which was kept secret since the world began. Now I'm not here to cast stones at any person, any individual, any denomination. But what I am here to do is to deny false doctrine. And that's, that's, all this, that's all this is. So I don't, I don't want to throw stones. I don't want to belittle any other people, any other Christian folks, because there are brothers and sisters in Christ just as much as by the blood of Christ as anybody else that's in God's family. But it's the mainstream world day, the mainstream idea in Christianity today as a, as a majority whole is that God, God loves everybody. Every member of the human race, God loves. And He desires that all of them come to the knowledge of salvation, over the knowledge of Jesus Christ, so that they can make a decision whether to accept or reject that salvation. <clears throat> that is generally what is taught in most, in most denominations, in, in the mainstream. <clears throat> and so for that to be true... If, God, if that was God's true desire, true intention, is to, I, I love everybody, I love all of humanity, so I desire that all would have knowledge of me so that they could come to me, right? What does this say? This says that preaching happens, preaching of the gospel happens through revelation of the mystery, 
And this revelation of the mystery of this mystery was kept secret since the world began. Now, if God wanted everybody to be saved, why would he keep it secret for most of them? That's a, that's a, a hard question, not only for the, them, but for us also. This is a difficult Bible question for anybody. If God wants us to know his son, Jesus Christ, why would he keep it a secret? It's a good question. <clears throat> Very thought-provoking questions. Good, good to ask ourselves those type of questions and study the word of God more and hope to find biblical answers to those questions and not just make up something that we think sounds good, but find biblical support for uh, these difficult questions. <clears throat> well, since the world began, let's just clarify this phrase a little bit which was kept secret since the world began, I believe this is talking about the, the, the distinction or the, how do you say it, <laughs> the discernment between or the, the, the line between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, God revealed nothing about his son Jesus Christ by name. <clears throat> There's a lot of prophecies about Christ. There's a lot of things that pointed to Christ, but they were done through types and shadows. There is not one time that the name of Jesus Christ is mentioned in the Old Testament. Not one direct prophecy of Christ by name. But there's hundreds upon hundreds of prophecies of the Messiah that would come that would be Jesus Christ, but it wasn't named so. It was a mysterious thing. It was alluded to and pointed to and foreshadowed of, foretold of, prophesied of, but it was a mystery of exactly how it would happen and who it would be. And then when Jesus, when John the Baptist first, and then Jesus Christ right behind him came, then the great mystery of the Old Testament that had all, all, every bit of human history in the Old Testament had been pointing towards this time that the Son of God would come and fulfill the Father's will and do all things well. And when Jesus came, it was the ultimate fulfillment of all of those things. And then that great mystery which the Old Testament represents which had been kept secret since the beginning of the world. In other words, if God was so excited to show us his son, why didn't he just do it in the very beginning? Well, God has some things to show us about his one side of his character in the Old Testament. He has to show us, I believe, the purpose of the Old Testament. One of the purposes of the Old Testament law was, and that Old Testament in itself was, is to show us that God is holy and he is serious about sin. <clears throat> you want to really a, a, a one-sentence Old Testament summary? That's what it is. Because what was it under that Old Testament law that the Israelites had to, had to deal with? Almost everything was punishable by what? By death. The law revealed sin and death. It was to manifest that God is serious. God is a, is a holy God and a just and righteous God. And that any sin has to be dealt with accordingly. And death is the only proper penalty. That's what the Old Testament shows us. And up to the point that before Jesus came, up to the point that Christ came, that was all that was revealed by God was the law of Moses and the prophets. And in that sense, it was a mystery because everything up to that point was there was no mercy. There was no mercy shown. There was no grace shown. Everything under the law was to point out that sin is real and God deals with it severely. The punishment is death. The proper penalty, the just penalty is death. That's why it is referred to by us preachers. And in the Bible, it's the law of what? The law of sin and death. It's a pretty simple law. You sin, you die. <laughs> that's, that's it. Adam experienced it first, and then we all are inherited, inherited it from him. <clears throat> Adam transgressed, and he said, God plainly told him, 
They didn't put it in any ambiguous terms. He said, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely what? Die. That's death. The law of sin and death entered in right there. The, the moment, the instant that Adam transgressed the law of God there in the garden. <clears throat> so what is this talking about being kept secret? If God wants us all to come to the knowledge of Jesus, and there's some sense, I think, in which, which he does. I think that's our job then as evangelistic people is we're supposed to share the gospel to the degree that everybody would know or at least hear about the, not, the gospel of Jesus Christ and have, have a working head knowledge of those things. <clears throat> but if God wanted all those, if the only way to be eternally saved and go to heaven was to come to, a, is to, come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and to accept or, or, or reject that, then how are all those Old Testament people going to get to heaven? Jesus was not yet preached, and God says here, I kept it a secret since the beginning of the world. Those people have no way to get to heaven. That's right. They don't have the knowledge of it, and God would be unjust to hold them eternally responsible for something that they had no knowledge of. So how do these people get sent? How do these people judge eternally, either one way or the other? <clears throat> it's not based upon those things. But for whatever, in God and His infinite sovereignty, infinite wisdom, and infinite just uh, knowledge, He, I mean, I can't tell you how many times in my own personal courts, in my own thoughts, in my own personal Bible study, I've asked myself, Lord, why did you choose to do it this way? Why did you choose to do this Old Testament first and then this New Testament second? Why did you choose to reveal yourself sort of in stages like that? That's another good Bible study question. Y'all can tackle it. Bible study sometime. Um, man, it's a lot of good thought-provoking stuff can come out of that. <clears throat> but that's one of the purposes of the Old Testament, is to show just how serious God is about sin and how that death is the only proper penalty. And then we come to the end of the Old Testament, and it's like we've been brought to the end of a rope. There's no hope of salvation because we're sinners, and God has shown us what sin deserves, deserves death. And so... Death is our proper lot. <laughs> Death is our proper end, and there's no way around it, and then Jesus comes on the scene. And now, the side of God that is grace and love and mercy begins to be what? Not invented. It's not like God just decided one day to start to be loving. God has been is loving before the foundation of the world, but he didn't choose to reveal it in the Old Testament in the way that he does the New Testament. He held it, he kept it secret, kept it a mystery in the Old Testament, and now after his son comes and fulfills the law of God and does all things well, fulfills all righteousness, then he says, now it's time to reveal who I really am and show you all those wonderful attributes. But it's necessary to have a balanced view of God. You need both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's necessary to, we don't need to be so, so one-sided, have such a one-sided view of God to say, well, he's only a God of love and he doesn't hate anybody. The Bible clearly says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I what? Hated. God says he hated Esau. <clears throat> that doesn't mean love less. Think about it. If God is eternal and infinite, how can God love in degrees? Can God love one person more than he does another and be a God of eternal love, infinite love? It is impossible for God to love in degrees. Now, we can't understand that because you and I love in degrees. We love our children more than we love our dogs, and we love our dogs more than we love this. We love in degrees and in different you know, varieties. And that's just the way we are in our, in our 
imperfect nature. <clears throat> and so many people, you know, would say, to get around that, they say, well, Jacob have a loved Esau, but hate it. Well, that just means God loved Esau a little less. <clears throat> I want to ask you a question. When God says he hates iniquity over there in Hebrews 1 and 9, does he mean he loved iniquity a little less? I would think not. I mean, you've got a whole Old Testament worth of evidence there to say God didn't just love iniquity less, he hates it. It is an abomination to him. And so when God said he hated Esau, he hates him to the same degree he hates iniquity. Um, anyway, I didn't mean to get off on that little, little rant, but <clears throat> these are some things that come up when we're talking about these things. Which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to who? All nations. What was it in the Old Testament? One, one nation, right? The Israelites. The Jews, the Hebrews. One of their, whichever name, one of their various names you want to use. Um, God chose one nation of people to reveal his law to, reveal the prophets, reveal the judges, reveal the, the ceremonial service, the law service. And all of those things. <clears throat> but now that Christ has been made, been made manifest, not only personally, but also by the scriptures right. testifying of him, it's now been made known. God has now opened it up to not just the Jews, but to all nations of people. I don't know about you, but that makes me very happy and very thankful this morning because last I checked, I'm not a descendant of Abraham, at least not that I can prove, <laughs> right? I'm not a Jew. I'm not a Jew by nature. I'm thankful that the reason that you, are, you and I are here this morning is because we're Gentiles and God has blessed the Gentiles in the New Testament to have something that the Gentiles did not have in the Old Testament. You and I are to be on shouting ground this morning because we see something that some 4,000 years of history in the Old Testament they could not see. They did not see because God says, I kept it secret. I hid the mystery. That's where we're going to see the language next in the next place we go. Uh, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith to God only wise. I love that phrase. <laughs> only God could be wise enough to think up a scheme like this, to think up something that spans all of human history and be so complex and so deep and so wonderful as to glorify Him. It says, to God only wise. In other words, there's only one God wise enough to do all this. <laughs> to do all this that I've described. To have a, an Old Testament transitioning into a New Testament that's got Jews and Gentiles all, uh, you know, Jews had it revealed and then now the Gentiles have it revealed. And to put this in perspective a little bit, in Romans 11, the Apostle Paul's teaching the same type of subject. If you go back just a few five chapters here. And he gets to the end of describing how God cut off the Jews and granted in the Gentiles and all those things. And he, I could just almost feel it. As, and I know I'm speculating, giving a little opinion here. But I can just almost feel Paul being overwhelmed by the amazingness and marveling at the amazingness of what God has done through human history pertaining to the revelation to the Jews and then to the Gentiles and how, all that, how God has worked all that through human history. And it's just truly amazing. It's so amazing that Paul said, Oh, the depth and the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and ways past finding out. And he put an exclamation point after that. And then he just had to sort of praise God for a minute before he could finish, finish the chapter. Um, here's another phrase that's like that. To God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Now turn with me to Ephesians. We've got to move quickly here. 
because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend a lot of time at these other two places because guess what? As I told you earlier, it's gonna say the exact same thing that I just read in Romans 16. It's gonna say it slightly bit different, same exact principle. So I'm tr gonna try not, I'm gonna try to just read through this. And uh, but I also love the attitude of the Apostle Paul here. We'll comment a little bit about that as we read through Ephesians chapter three. So I said we're going Romans 16, Ephesians 3, and Colossians 1. If you want to go ahead and kind of hold those places <clears throat> as I turn to them. Um, Ephesians 3, verse 1. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Again, there's the Gentiles. Paul is concerned. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle uh, to the Jews. <clears throat> so Paul is primarily concerned with the Gentile people. Um, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you. <clears throat> Do y'all see the attitude built into that last phrase? Paul has the proper attitude, the humble attitude of the minister. The proper perspective of the minister is to never get too caught up in self. Amen. Never get too caught up in, ooh, God has shown me something and he ain't shown nobody else. How many times have you seen perhaps preachers out in the world, <clears throat> other preachers out in the world that maybe thought God showed them something specific that only only they knew, and they had sort of built their ministry upon that that specific knowledge. <clears throat> Paul could revel. I mean, think about the things that Paul knew. Paul is the only one of the apostles recorded in Scripture to say how he got the gospel. He's the, uh, in uh, Galatians chapter one, verse eleven and twelve. It says, I, uh, uh, Paul says, I was neither. Received it by man, neither was I taught it by man, but by what? But by revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul was the only one to receive the gospel that way. By direct revelation of Christ. So I say all that to say this. If anybody had a... Uh, there's nobody that had a more full understanding of the gospel than the Apostle Paul did. As far as men go. <clears throat> as far as, you know, flesh and blood men go. Because of how he received it. How did the other apostles receive it? They followed Jesus around every day and learned slowly over time. How do you and I, uh, we learn it from other men. We learn it as we're raised up uh, in, in the church. We learn it slowly and progressively over time. How did Paul receive it? The Bible says he received it by direct revelation of Jesus Christ, which means he got it all at once and he got it in full. He had as full of knowledge as you could have of the gospel and be a man. <laughs> I believe that. <clears throat> I believe... Uh, that's what it means there in Galatians 1 of how he received the gospel. Given that he received so great of a revelation from God, and so great, uh, he could have said, stood up and said, all of you other apostles, sit down, be quiet. I'm going to speak now because God's shown this to me and he hasn't shown it to you. Is that his, uh, is, is that his attitude anywhere? Paul always understood no matter how great the revelation that God had given him was, it wasn't for him. Notice the language. <clears throat> if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me, what? To you. Paul realizes he's just a, a pass-through vessel. <laughs> if I can put it that way. He's just a pass-through vessel. God reveals something to him so that he can reveal it to you. And that is the, that is the, uh, the cookie-cutter pattern which should be followed by every single God-called minister. We're not up here to glory in ourselves. We're not up here to say, look at what I know. If God has shown us anything in Scripture, it's not just for us. It's to show and preach unto God's people. It's given to me towards you. <clears throat> you see that? 
It's given to me for you word, or to you word. <clears throat> and I just wanted to make that comment. I can't ever read through that part and not make a comment on that part because that's just a, that's that's the true essence of the gospel minister. Not only are they preaching the truth, doctrine matters, right? The truth matters. I understand. But do they have the spirit of humility that a minister should have? That's not about them, but. Ooh, God's given me a great revelation. I'm going to revel in it in myself. No. God, the only reason God revealed anything to you is so you, he, is so you could feed his lambs and his sheep. <clears throat> Paul realized that, and he, he exuded that humility at every turn. Paul could have reveled in, uh, been exalted in pride with not only how much he knew as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, but also as an apostle of the apostles. But on numerous occasions, he, he would say, I'm the chief of sinners, right? He says, I'm the least of you. I am what I am by the grace of God. Paul made these type of statements over and over again. All right, we'll continue verse 3. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Do you see that? What's the two words we're focusing on? Revelation and mystery. Notice how many times the word mystery and revelation appear through this passage. I'll read verse 3 again. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, in other words, this is the purpose that Paul is saying I'm revealing the mystery to you. So that when, in other words, when I'm preaching this morning, if I'm preaching the truth, I'm preaching Christ, and I'm preaching it right, I'm preaching it as God has intended, then that ought to reveal something, a mystery in your mind, so that when you go home and read, then you read with understanding, see? That's what he's saying in verse 4 in that parenthetical statement. He's explaining what the mystery is and, and the purpose of the revealing of the mystery. What's the purpose of that? Is it so whereby when ye read, that's you, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge. God gave me the knowledge. Paul didn't have to read and study to get this knowledge. That's what he's saying. He's saying God gave me this, this knowledge directly by revelation of Jesus Christ. And again, you can go to Galatians chapter 1 and get that uh, proof. Um Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge. Paul says, my knowledge came by direct revelation, but yours comes by reading and understanding that way. But Paul says, I'm glad to share my knowledge with you. I'm glad to share my revelation with you. <clears throat> in the mystery of Christ, because Christ is a great mystery in and of himself that has to be revealed. If you think about it, is that not the, as I think of another verse, Brother David, and I'm sorry that all these are still scattered this morning, but all these verses come to my mind. This principle of revelation is not just some concept that's nice to have, that's just, uh, um, that's just a good thing uh, to know about. I want you to realize how just how essential this, the principle of revelation is, of God revealing things to his people. If you think about it, Matthew 16, what does Jesus Say his, say his entire church is built upon. The entire New Testament church kingdom, Jesus said, is built upon what? The revealing. Uh, uh, what did he say to Peter? He says, flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Right? right. See, there's a revealing there that took place. The fact that, Jesus, uh, that Peter knew that Jesus was the Son of God, and then Jesus turned to Peter and says... Peter, uh, how did he say it? He said, Peter, be thankful for this or something like that. He says, uh, thank God for this. Or, or, or Peter, you're blessed. Um, you're a blessed individual. Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. That's what it is. Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, uh, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to thee, but my, but my Father which is in heaven. <clears throat> so this principle of revelation, this revelation of the mystery that I'm trying to preach to you this morning and show you from the scriptures, 
is so important, <laughs> is so essential that Jesus said, I'm building my entire church upon this foundation. You know, every house, every building, this church building, any house out here in Martin, Tennessee, every house is only as good as it's what? It's foundation. If the foundation's weak, the house is going to start leaning or creaking or may just fall in. But if the foundation is strong, you've got a good foundation for a strong house. So what, whatever Jesus, the rock that Jesus said my church is built upon, is not only Jesus himself. Yes, Jesus himself, himself is the rock, but it is the principle that God reveals the mystery of his son to his people when and where he pleases. That's the rock that Jesus built his church upon. It's the principle of revelation. <clears throat> now that, if you think about Matthew 16 in context with what we're talking about here, does that not make it just super important? I mean, this is the most important thing in the New Testament. Because Jesus said, my entire church is built upon this. My entire church is built upon this principle, the principle of revelation. So no wonder the, the world doesn't see it. <clears throat> no wonder that we should not be too discouraged <clears throat> uh, when we go out and try to tell people about Christ and they reject it. And they say, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you're just one of those uh, uh, cultish Christians, you know, or fanatic Christians. And, and they just brush it off and they say, well, I have such a wonderful Savior, I want to tell other people about how wonderful He is, and they just reject it, or they just seem not to care about it. <clears throat> well, don't be too discouraged about that. I mean, yeah, it is discouraging, because we want other people to enjoy the same, have the same joy that we have in our Savior, but at the same time realize that this is a principle of revelation here. Right. Not everybody is going to see this truth. <clears throat> Because God says, I'm, I'm hiding it. He literally says in this passage, we're going to get to it. He says, I hid it from ages past. It is a mystery, a secret that's been kept, a thing that's been kept secret. I don't know how you get around this language. Um, which in other ages, verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints. There's one of those type of statements of Paul uh, self-deprecating, right? Of, of, of humbling himself and realizing that he's nothing without the grace of God. No matter how great his gift was in his, as an apostle, he realized without God, he's less than the least of all saints. Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? One of my favorite phrases in the New Testament, the unsearchable riches of Christ. In verse 9, here it is. And to make all men see. And I believe that all men see there is a reference to Jews and Gentiles. Once again, it was hid from, it was given to Jews, but hid from Gentiles in the Old Testament. And now he's saying, not just Jews can see it, but now all Jews and Gentiles can see it. <clears throat> All types of men can see it. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. I love that word. Did you all know we're here this morning? We're not only fellowshipping in the gospel, we're fellowshipping in a mystery. That's what it says there. It doesn't say we're fellowshipping, you know, in Jesus Christ, which we do. We're fellowshipping in the gospel. It says the fellowship of the mystery. Did you know we have all gathered together this morning in one accord, in one mind, in one heart. To fellowship in a, in a thing that is mysterious to the world. Amen. It's hid from the world. It's a, it's a mystery to them. But to us, it's what? It's power and it's salvation. It's, it's life comforting, life uh, 
joy and thriving power. <laughs> joy giving power. And we come happy and we come singing praises unto His name and we rejoice leaving saying, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. That's a great mystery to the world. The world does not know what, uh, the types of things, spiritual things that go, goes on in here. They don't understand it. Why don't they understand it? It hasn't been revealed to them. They haven't had the revelation of the mystery. <clears throat> and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. So there it is again. It says it quite plainly like Romans 16 did. Romans 16 said it's been kept secret. This says it's been hid from uh, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God. Now, one more place, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, for time's sake, I'll read it in verse, start in verse 25. Now again, this is sort of beating a dead horse, I suppose, but I want you to notice every place Paul taught this subject, he did it with remarkable consistency. He said it with exact same way to the, all three churches that he wrote about. It. Colossians 1 and 25. Whereof I made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations. That added a little bit more, didn't it? Think of all the generations of people that live from Adam to John the Baptist. Think about it. For some 4,000 years of human history did not have the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ in the way that you and I have it today. Amen. And if that doesn't do anything else for us, it should make us thankful. You know, this is a season of Thanksgiving, this holiday of Thanksgiving we just celebrated. We have so much to be thankful for, but this ought to be somewhere towards the top of the list. The fact that God has seen fit in His sovereignty. God didn't, this is something God did not have to do. God did not obligate... Uh, God is not obligated to chase Harrison just because he lives in the new, in some different era of time that he would show him the truth. Right. God, every time God reveals something to one of his children, it is a grace. It is a mercy. <clears throat> God is revealing something to us we don't deserve, and we should glorify him in that. <clears throat> it says, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations. Think about all those generations of people. Generations after generations after generations of people lived and died and never had the blessed knowledge of the hope of Jesus Christ in the way that we have it today, the way that we have had it since the cross. In some 2,000 years of New Testament history now, we've been blessed to live in this era of the grace age, if you will, um, as we like to call it sometimes. But now is made manifest to, saint, to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is... And so somebody says, well, Brother Chase, I just don't know what this mystery is. The mystery is mysterious in itself. I don't know what the, I don't know how to define the mystery. That's why I like going to Colossians 1 to sort of end it up, end this message up, is because it defines the mystery in very simple, short terms. Somebody says, well, what is this mystery exactly? To whom God would make known, what is a make known? What does that mean? It's a revelation. When something's revealed to you, something's been made known to you, you didn't know before, right? That's pretty simple. That's all the word revelation means. Don't be, like I was in the past, intimidated by the big spooky word revelation because of some of the things that's in the book of Revelation. Revelation is something that I get excited about. I get like jumping happy about because 
Ooh, I'm looking for it now, right? Instead of running away from it like I was in the past, I'm like itching for it. I'm like, God, reveal something to me. Make something known to me I didn't know before. I'm like, I'm looking for revelation now. I want to know more about my Savior. I want to know more about my Heavenly Father. I want to know more about this Word. And I say, Lord, reveal to me what you would have me to know. That's what, Revelation's wonderful, isn't it? It's great. Don't ever be afraid of that term. And I forgot to make this uh, point earlier. I try to make this point every time I talk about either the book Revelation or the word itself, Revelation. I try to make this point. The book of Revelation, this is what sort of started to transition my mind from one to the other, as I was talking about earlier. I used to be afraid of the book. Now it's my favorite book in the Bible. But if you could have a favorite, they're all my favorite, right? <laughs> uh, but Revelation, it's, I'm so glad the Lord sort of removed the, the shackles that were on me that I was afraid to go in there because I wouldn't understand it. <clears throat> I'm thankful that all, even if I don't understand a lot of stuff in it, which I don't, there's a lot in there I don't have a clue about. <clears throat> but I know Jesus wins, and that's enough to lay my head at night on my pillow and Amen. sleep with peace. <laughs> and I say I'll try again tomorrow to figure out the other stuff I don't understand. <clears throat> But the book of Revelation, if God was trying to hide something from you that you had to unlock in Revelation, the book of Revelation, out of all the 66 books of the Bible, really, I'm trying to emphasize this, put weight on this. Out of all the 66 books in the Bible, there's only one book in the entire Word of God that specifically, explicitly promises a blessing to its reader. Right. Think about it. I think it's verse 3. Is it verse 3, verse 4? It's right there in the first few verses of Revelation chapter 1 when he's opening, when he's giving his introduction. And it says, Blessed is he that readeth and understandeth the words of this prophecy. Through the writings and preachings of other, other ministers, once I began to see that and say, Oh, this is, shouldn't be a scary book. This shouldn't be a mysterious book. Because God promises me. God comes right out in the beginning and says, if you read the words of this prophecy, you will be blessed. <clears throat> Why would I ignore that? <laughs> Why would I then say, no, Lord, I, I don't think your promise is good. I'm just not going to read that book. Why would I do that? That just seems dumb, doesn't it? I mean, to put it quite frank, I would be a fool not to take God up on that promise. God has promised me a blessing if I read the book of Revelation. It says it right there in the beginning. No other book. Now, I know y'all are going to say, well, every, isn't there a blessing to reading every book of the Bible? Obviously, yes. But there's no book, no other book in the Bible that comes out and says it explicitly in the beginning. In the beginning of the book and says, blessed is he that readeth and understandeth the words of this prophecy. No other book comes out and says that. The book of Revelation does. <clears throat> Once I begin to see that, I begin to say, okay, let me take off my blinders and start to read this book a little bit. <laughs> and understand even when I don't understand some of the difficult stuff, I know Jesus wins. <clears throat> Amen. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages generate now made known, manifest to his saints. Where was I at? Verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. Somebody says, this mystery. Well, what is the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. It, it defines it right there. Brother David said it. Which is? Somebody says, I, don't, I want to know what this mystery you're talking about is, Brother Chase. It says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You ever wondered how you, you have some intent? I mean, naturally speaking, it's intangible. You can't really put your finger on it. But I have something within my heart, within my soul, that longs for something beyond this world. 
that I didn't have anything to do with it being there. I didn't wish it there. I didn't wake up one morning. I didn't think it there. I didn't study it there. I didn't do anything. It was just from a young age, I remember I loved God and I knew I was going to heaven. I yearned. I longed for a place that's better than this sinful world. I felt like a, feel like a stranger and a pilgrim in a world. I'm just passing through. Where does that feeling come from? Where does the hope of heaven come from? That's a mystery, isn't it? How, can I, how do I hope for something which I can't see? He says that in Romans 8. He says, what, if a man sees it, why did he get hope for? Why, have you ever asked yourself that question? Some of these things, because we've been primitive Baptists so long, we don't even question these things anymore. We've heard it. Well, I know I have a hope in heaven. And it's because of God and His grace, and we just don't think about it. But really, a great mystery takes place within your own mind and conscience every day if you'll focus on it. The fact that you can hope for something that you have never seen. And hope in someone who you've never seen. I've never seen Jesus Christ with my own eyes. But by faith, I've seen him in every single church service. Because I've felt his presence. That's Christ in you. The hope of glory. Now how can Christ be... How many places in the New Testament does it tell us that Christ is seated on the right hand of the majesty on high? Multiple places, right? It depicts Christ as being seated in the heavens. At, the, at his proper place. His exalted place at the right hand of God. Now, how can he be up in heaven and in my heart and in your heart all at the same time? That's a mystery, isn't it? It's a mystery. That's what he's talking about. You go out and tell somebody, they'll try to put you in one of those jackets with no arms and, and lock you up. Because I think you're crazy. This person's crazy. They think he believes in ghosts and he believes in this and that. He believes in stuff he can't see. Well, we believe in Jesus not because we just can't see him. <laughs> But we believe him because he lives in our heart. And we can feel his love, feel his presence every day. And sometimes it gets grows weak, and sometimes we don't do what we're supposed to. But it's there. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery that's been revealed. And this word, now the word is not what put him there. <laughs> the word is not what, the preached word or the written word is not what invited Christ into our heart. But it reveals that he's already there. It tells us about what's going on Underneath the soul, in the soul, in the place that we can't describe with human language, it describes, it tells us who lives there and what's going on there. And it's a place that only God can occupy. Thank you for allowing me extra five minutes there to finish up. And I really appreciate your good attention and your patience and long-suffering with me. Um, it's been so, such a great blessing to be back with you, and I hope it's not another, what was it, seven, eight years, seems like. Says, I hope it's not that long again before I, I, I come back and visit. Uh, but just wish you all a happy belated Thanksgiving and a Merry Christmas coming up. Happy New Year and all those things are holidays coming up. And it's just been a great joy and blessing to be back with you in my old college uh, church that uh, we uh, loved to attend so much when we were here at Martin. And uh, miss you all and love you all in the Lord. And just uh, pray that God will continue to keep the candlestick here and your fervency and spirit would, would burn strong. You would keep serving the Lord faithfully, and he would keep blessing you in those efforts. <clears throat> Come ahead, Brother David.